right. It's the moment of truth. Everyone had homework. If you were here last week, you're responsible for it. If you missed last week, we'll give you a pass. Uh, you were to memorize the first three verses of Psalm 119. Uh, and, and what we're going to do, you can open in your Bibles to Psalm 119. How about we well, I'll give you that for those of you who weren't here. And odds are, we who did memorize it or gave it our best shot, um, did it in different translations. So it may sound like we're all speaking in tongues at once, uh, but we're, we're going to read the first three verses together. And if you memorized it, do it in the, in the version that you memorized. Okay, is that clear enough or did I make it fuzzy? Everybody, let's stand if you're able. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, uh, your word is so precious. Uh, it, it fills us. It dwells within us. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It is the power of God unto salvation. And we need to fix it in our hearts and in our minds so that it comes out of us. Uh, rather than, than football scores or, or anything like that, that we would desire that your word would come out of us just naturally. So as we come to it today, Lord, to dig into it, we pray your spirit would open our eyes to it, fill our minds and hearts so that we might live it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 119, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the man whose way is blameless, who walks in the path of the Lord. Blessed is the man who keeps his testimonies, who sees things all his heart. Those who do no wrong and those who obey his word. Okay? That, that's it. This is, okay, good. Now, just so we're on the same page, verse 3 is what we're going to dig into today. They who do know in righteousness, they who walk in his ways. So please be seated. Now, if you're like me, memorization is, is, can be difficult for you. And I want to tell you, I've said that probably 50 times, and 30 of them have been different. You know, in, in, my, in my own mind and, and out loud in my private times, I've, I've, I've said that and memorized it. And you know what? I'll, I'll go down to my office after worship and it'll come out perfectly. That's just the way that it works, okay? But it's in there, and that's the whole purpose. It's in there, and that's what we've got to have. Now... Psalm 119, verse 3, I have relied, and you'll probably be able to see it in the structure if you're paying attention to how things are structured. I've relied upon the Puritan Thomas Manton for a lot of this, and, and it comes out kind of Puritan-esque in its structure. Um, and, and because the Puritans were very logical. If you remember, um, if you've ever had to read, had to read, had the pleasure to read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God or any other Jonathan Edwards sermon, you see this whole portion of, um, uh, you've got this whole doctrinal portion, which in Edward's time would last for 45 minutes. And then there would be an application portion, which would last for another 45 minutes. And under each portion, there would probably be six or eight points and subpoints. It's very, very logical. That's just the way they, they thought and the way that they dug into it. Well, Thomas Manton does a great job on this verse, and, and you'll see some of that uh, reflected in what we have today. And this, this passage, this ver one verse, is 
is a classic Old Testament description because it gives us the negative and it gives us the positive. Blessed are those who do no wrong, that's the negative, who walk in his ways, that's the positive. Okay? Now, in our verse this morning, we see this, the, the negative is how to avoid sin. That's what we are called to do, how to avoid sin and to walk in holiness in the way of the Lord. Now, first, we have this negative portion, do no wrong. Now, if you're thinking like me, when I first read that, I said, well, that's the end of all of us. Okay, I mean, what's the hope for all of us? Because we each, how can we live up to this command to do no wrong? I mean, we're all lost in that. When was the last day you did no wrong? Okay, don't don't give me a date, because uh, you're going to be lying about it if you do. Okay, um, how can any man be blessed if the condition is that they do not sin? That's a problem. Is this just hyperbole? I mean, to deny sin is a straight out lie, and it speaks against our own experience. We understand in our own experience. I mean, just. Just try. You, you, you take 100% of your brain power to try to make sure that you didn't sin during the day or didn't have an errant thought. And as soon as you start to think, oh, I can't have errant thoughts, then more errant thoughts are going to want to come into your brain because it's just simply the way that sin works. Okay? If we, John, 1 John 1 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There is sin within us, but yet Scripture says we need to go out and not sin. How are we going to? We're going to live with this, okay? Well, first, what let's let's define what does the psalmist mean when he says sin? Well, you say, well, Rand, I might not know a lot of those theological terms you throw around, but I know sin, okay? I know it pretty intimately, as we all do. What else can he mean? Sin is sin. Well, I think he is saying here, and I think the the larger portion and teaching of Scripture will back me up on this. That if we make it our common and habitual practice to continue in willful disobedience. I think that's what he is referring to here. Our common and habitual practice to continue in willful disobedience. Now, common, I do it on a regular basis. Habit, I do it without thinking. Willful, I want to do it. Ooh, that's a problem. I want to do it. That's the sin that he's referring to. Now, to sin is one thing. Every believer sins. But to make our sin our work and our practice is another issue altogether and is, is clearly condemned for us in Scripture. First John chapter 3, he's, he that is born of God does not commit sin. He does not work sin. Matthew chapter 7, depart from me you that work iniquity, that make it your practice and your effort. Those who make sin their work and their practice are saying that it is part of my character. It is something that I want. It is something that I long for. John chapter 8, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. It becomes your master. Sin becomes their constant trade. And we know that no one is absolutely free of sin. But the author, when he's talking about those who can walk in, in blessedness, are talking about those whose for whom sin is not their trade, it is not their way, it is not their work, it is not their practice. Yes, it is unfortunately part of our lives, but it is not our habitual 
and common practice and willful disobedience. So that's what, that's what I'm convinced he means by sin and what scripture is talking about because no believer is free of sin. So who are those who do no wrong? As verse 3 says, well, for those of us whose lives have been changed by Christ, the righteousness of Christ is imputed within us. It, it comes and dwells within us. We who had no righteousness become the righteousness of God. Okay, He t- takes his righteousness, puts it with inside of us, takes our sinfulness, takes it upon himself. That's the work of Christ. That's the forgiveness of our sins. So in accordance with that work, our sins are cleansed and wiped away. Now, think of David. David is, uh, we were just talking about David before, before worship. Um, First Kings chapter 14, I'll just read it to you. He kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart and only did that which was right in my eyes. Now, how can that possibly be? Because we, we were steeped in Sunday school, man. We've seen, we've seen the stories of David. We know his sins, Okay. How is it that David did right in the eyes of the Lord? Well, I think because that was not his practice. It was not his habitual effort to do that. And we'll see more about David in just a moment. If David was being judged by the law, or if it was the habitual and unrepentant practice of his heart, there would be no hope for David. But like believers today, David was chosen in Christ before the foundations of the earth. And and he could not leave, he could not be taken from the hand of the one who has saved him. His salvation was secure. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, There might be sin in our lives. There might be things that we do which are wrong. There might be times where we are corrected, but there is no condemnation. When they say condemnation, they're talking about eternal condemnation for those who are in Christ. Therefore, sins, though they demonstrate that sin remains within the believer, does not alter our saved condition. Yes, each believer sins. Now, that's not to say that we should not be humbled by our sin and to ask God's pardon for our sin. We are to go to the Lord on a regular basis and repent of our sin. When David humbled himself and repented, then Nathan said, the Lord has put away your sin. It wasn't until he had repented that he really understood the depths of that and the Lord had forgiven him. Now for the believer, our bent and our habitual inclination is to move away from sin. Okay, Why? Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. We want to comply with God's will. I mean, how many of us want to be outside of God's will? How many of us see, hey, this is God's will and this is what is best for me? I don't want to be any part of it. Well, as a believer, we have to desire it. As a believer, that's the way we want to walk. That's the path we want to walk in. His word lights our path. It is a lamp unto our feet. That's where we need to be, within the will of God. Are we there all the time? We we have freedom of our will as well, so we exercise that. And sometimes we go off the path and go seek our own will. But a wicked man, he sins with purpose and with delight purpose and delight he likes his sin he sees no reason to remove himself from sin so those who aren't saved and and those who are saved we make a, a, a 
comparison here. The guy who's, who is saved and, and understands the, the grace of the Lord and who's life the holy spirit lives sees sin and he doesn't want to go there he may fall into it but it is not his habit the one who is not saved who thinks nothing of the lord has no problem with sin because he doesn't feel that it's wrong well it's just what i want right it's my choice you might say that it's wrong but i don't think it's wrong so who are you to say that it's wrong he makes no provision in his life for the lusts of his heart. He serves those lusts voluntarily. That's what the wicked man does. He serves the lusts of his heart voluntarily, willingly. That's Romans 13 and Titus chapter 3. Think of the person who is addicted. Okay? The first rule of dealing with somebody who is addicted, this comes from an addiction counselor who told me this years ago, is that addicts lie. Why do they lie? So that they may continue in their behavior. They make room in their lives for their behavior. They serve their behavior voluntarily. That's willful and voluntary. But those who are renewed by grace are not prisoners to the flesh. Paul says we're prisoners to what? To the spirit. That's very different. We are held captive and bound by the Spirit. So therefore, we follow after the things of the Spirit. Think of that. You know, uh, form follows after form. Kind follows after kind. Those who are born of the flesh follow the things of the flesh. Those who are born of the Spirit seek after the things of the Spirit. That's the way that it works. So if a man is easily or frequently carried away by sin, it creates this habit within their soul. Forms a, a desire in their life. Thomas Manton writes, Meadows may be flooded now and then, but marsh ground is drowned with every tide. A, a child of God may, may be carried away and act contrary to the new nature he has been given in Christ, but when men are drowned and overcome again and again and again with the return of every temptation and repeatedly give in to that temptation, it argues a habit of sin. A habit of sin. We all give in to sin. Now, I don't, don't think, don't think. well, you know, I, I know the person sitting next to me, and, and they are just way more godly than I do, and they I don't doubt they ever give in to sin. We all give in to sin, but we don't like it. It's the person who gives in to sin again and again and again, who doesn't see anything wrong with it, who makes a habit of it, that's a problem. A habit or practice is something you do without thinking or wondering why. But the children of God make it our business to avoid sin whenever we can by watching and praying. And this, this old word, mortifying the flesh. Mortifying means to kill. How do we kill the flesh? Putting to death sin in our lives. And that's no simple task. I'm going to tell you. That is no simple task. Because we can think, hey, I got rid of that sin in my life. Great. And we go on. And maybe a month, maybe a year, maybe five years later, that sin comes up again. And so where did it come from? I thought I'd kill that off. Richard Baxter, another preordinate, says, Let no man think to kill sin with a few easy or gentle strokes. He who has once smitten a serpent, if he follows not on his blow until it be killed, may repent that he ever began the quarrel. Okay, if you've ever walloped a snake and didn't kill it, it's going to come after you again. Okay, <laughs> I was 
this uh, this fall, I'll just tell you this, uh, I'm not a big snake fan, and for those of you who are, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to tell you about the death of, of something. Um, but there it was by our back door. It was this snake, and, and I knew enough that it wasn't a copperhead and it wasn't a rattler, but it was a snake, and it was by the back door, and you could see by the look on its face it wanted in, okay? <laughs> so... I went and, and, and got the hoe. And this snake's about this long. And, and I don't know where it, you know. So I got the hoe. And I whacked it. And it was just, it's just like it looked at me. <laughs> you know, what, what do you think you were doing? I whacked it three more times. And, and, and the head is now over here. And it's still looking at me. Okay? <laughs> so that's the way sin is. Sin, you, you might think you killed it. But it's looking at you. And it's calling your name. And it's saying, hey, I'm still here. Okay? And unless you really kill it and put it to death in your life, it will rear its ugly head once again. And so, this is the end of the Baxter quote, and so he who undertakes to deal with sin and pursues it not to the end is in constant danger. Psalm 39 says, I will take heed to my ways that I might not sin against you. See, God has planted within our hearts, within the hearts of the believer, a way, more than one, to resist sin. One of those things is a fear of his majesty. A fear of his majesty. That we stand, we, you heard the word awe, we stand in awe of the Lord. That we, we stand back with fear and awe of the majesty of our Heavenly Father. Think of Joseph when he was tempted by, uh, what's her face? Potiphar's wife. Okay, so I, I, Potiphar, was that his name? Thank you. I, I didn't write it down, so of course I don't remember it. He, but, but Joseph said, how can I do this wickedness? How could I sin against God? It wasn't, how could I give in to this temptation, but how could I sin against God? The, the prodigal said what? He came to his senses and said, I have sinned against God. And against my father. God first. See, it's God's majesty. It should break our hearts when we purposely sin and knowingly sin against the Lord, knowing the price that had to be paid for our forgiveness. Sometimes our strength to resist seems to fail us, and sin seems to win out. And we think, oh, how could this happen? But that is an, an event and an occurrence that is common in the life of the believer. Paul says what? I, I don't know why I do the things I'm not supposed to do and I don't do the things I'm supposed to do. How could this happen to the believer? It's just the way that it is. But there needs to be, make sure we have remorse after sin. David's heart broke within him when he was confronted by his sin. It grieves us that we should do evil. There should be a special tenderness in our hearts towards offending God that goes with our new nature. The unbeliever, hey, you've offended God, you know? Is it going to strike me down with lightning? But for the believer, you have offended God. It should really, we, it should hurt here that we offend him. Peter, after the dying of Christ, what? Went out and wept bitterly. He just didn't cry. I mean, he just poured it out, his whole body. You just get a picture of shaking and, and the bitterness of facing his own sin. So, those who want to be blessed have to make it their business to avoid sin. And Thomas Manton gives us three reasons why we should avoid sin. 
The first one is because sin separates us from the Lord. It keeps us from close communion with the Lord. You want to know why your prayers aren't being heard? You want to know why you're not feeling or understanding what the Lord has for you? Probably sin in your life. You want to know why? You know, go talk to somebody who said, yeah, I pitched out my faith uh, years ago. What what was when I was, um, you know, 20? Well, what were you doing when you were 20? Uh, Well, usually a lot of sin. And it was sin kept them. It separated them from the Lord. Secondly, why we should make it our business to avoid sin is because we know that obedience and holy living here in this world prepares us for the next. It prepares us for the next. 1 John chapter 3, he that has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. So the time that we spend learning obedience in this world and living in the midst of a sinful world for the things of Christ are the days, if you want to call it the days of our preparation. They are preparing us for eternity to be with our Heavenly Father. I mean, it won't be long before we stand before the Lord. You're thinking, oh, I got 30 or 40 years before I stand before the Lord. In light of eternity, it's that long, okay? How long will you be with the Lord? On the way in on church this morning, I was listening to the song. that Some of you will know it, and it says, you know, um, Pooh. <laughs> blessed are the way of those blessed is those whose ways blends I can remember that now um, that 10,000 years and then what happens after 10,000 years in heaven we still have forevermore to sing his praises think of that we'll spend 10,000 years in heaven and then what do we have left way more than that See, so our lives and and the resistance of sin here in this world helps prepare us for what is there to come. Think of this. You get invited um, to your future in-law's house. You get invited to your uh, the CEO of your company's house for for dinner. You get invited to the White House. You get invited to the the palace to see the queen. What are you going to do? You're going to prepare. You're going to get ready. Okay, the same type of thing. We are invited, we are called, the way is made for us to go into the presence of our Heavenly Father. You, do you think you don't need to be prepared to get there? Make it your practice of holiness so that when you arrive in heaven, holiness is the norm for you? Just think. If you spent your life in sin and, and degradation in this world, and, and, and it was universalism and you got to heaven... How foreign would holiness be to you? Why would you want to be in the midst of things that are holy and pure when you have spent your life in in everything else? But for those whose lives are changed by Christ, we want to pursue those things of holiness as preparation for our arrival in heaven. Richard Baxter says, What a blessed day that will be when I shall stand on the shore and look back on the raging seas I have safely passed And when I shall review my pains and sorrows, my fears and tears, and possess the glory which was the end of it all. What is the end of all the struggles and the preparation in this world? It is eternal glory with our Heavenly Father. Number three, why should we avoid sin? Because it's a mark of true happiness. True happiness. You think, uh, aren't non-believers, can't they be happy too? We're talking about true happiness. 
the joy of Christ is demonstrating the avoidance of sin. I want to be more and more like Christ. So I attempt to avoid sin. As sin is taken away, our happiness increases. First, God begins with justification. He takes away the condemning aspect of sin. You are no longer responsible for your sin. It has been laid upon the work of Christ. And then through the process of sanctification, sin no longer reigns in our lives. It gets less and less as we grow more and more closer to Christ. So, this begs the question, to what extent does sin remain in our lives? Some days it, it, it remains a lot. Okay? And other days, maybe not so much. Well, realize we have a corrupt nature. It is our nature. It's still part of it. It doesn't reign in our lives, but it remains in our lives. Paul yells out, oh, wretched man am I. Who will deliver me from this body of death? He wants to get rid of this stuff and can't seem to get rid of the sin in his life. When I came south, there was this plant that grew wild. Okay, and, and I heard the stories of the un, inability to kill it. Is it kudzo? Is that what? Kudzu? Uh, kudzu? Yeah, uh-huh. You know, I can't remember anything today. I'm having trouble. My, my, my cousin who has a, a shop in Raleigh has a field next to it, and what they did is they brought in goats and fenced the goats in and let them eat it down. And you know what happened the next year? Came right back up. Okay? You can't get rid of it. You've got to dig down deep to get rid of it. We have this nature within us. We can chop it off for a while, but sooner or later, and sin is in there. It is within us. Secondly, we have daily failings. Okay? What man on earth does not sin? Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Though we battle against it, there are certain sins that we just don't seem to be able to get rid of. Would appear to be unavoidable sins of, like sins of ignorance, sins of omission, uh, sins of neglect, imperfectly carrying out the will of the Lord, uh, not taking full delight in the Lord. I never thought that was a sin until I began to read up on it. Not taking full delight in the things of the Lord. I mean, He gives them to us. We should just rejoice in that. We will probably never be free from these things as long as we are in this world. But we are forgiven for those errors when we go to the Lord and repent. Third, you might be guilty of some sins that could have been prevented if you knew more of this. If you spent more time in the word, if your heart was more attentive to the things of the word, certain sins could be avoided. James chapter 1, every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own, of his own lusts and enticements. Fill your mind with this and less with the other things of the world. Then there are those times where, you know what? We just fail to do what's right. Okay. <laughs> I, I can't put it any other way. I just know what's right, but I just don't do it. It might be willful disobedience, but, but it is not done, as Manton says, with the full consent of our soul. It's not a ha- habit. It's just one of those things where I just, I just didn't want to do it. I was too lazy or I was too tired or I just, just didn't think. I think well, I've got a list here for us of, of, of examples of that. Noah and his drunkenness. Lot and his incest with his daughters. David and Bathsheba. Okay, now David and Uriah are different than David and Bathsheba. Okay, 
Peter's denial of Christ. Oh, I just didn't do it. And I'm so sorry. How can I be so stupid and make that mistake? We just, that's part of sin. It's part of our lives. So as believers that struggle with sin, what are we going to do? Well, we've got to remember that we can't fall out of God's grace. There's not a sin that you can commit that as, as a believer, one who has been born again in whom the Holy Spirit lives, that will put you outside of salvation. We believe in the assurance of salvation. Once God has called you by name and saved you, he will not let you go. As a believer, we don't sin with our whole heart because our heart belongs to Christ. Our heart is filled with the Holy Spirit, but sin remains. I've gone astray, at the end of Psalm 119, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget your commandments, Lord. They are in there. I haven't forgotten them, Lord. I may have ignored them for a moment, but I haven't forgotten them. Bernard of Clairvaux said, A child of God suffers sin rather than acts it. Suffers sin rather than acts it. It is not our constant, regular, or frequent habit to enter into gross sins. If it is, you need to have come to Jesus' meeting. Okay? If it is your frequent habit to enter into gross sins, you have a problem. But the believer, it hurts us when we do. Search me and see if there be any way of wickedness within me. That is our cry to the Lord. When we fall into sin, we don't rest in sin. Manton says, They may fall into the dirt, but they do not lie and wallow there like a swine in the mire. God's children have their failings, but they pursue their pardon and run to their advocate. They humble themselves before the Lord. That's what we do. When we sin, we know it. Where is their forgiveness? Where is their pardon? It is before the Lord. We run to him. We run to him. We might, in our humanness, we might go... We might hold it in and say, I, I can't I can't go to the Lord. I'm so ashamed of it. But that is the only place we're going to find forgiveness. That is the only place we'll find wholeness. It is before the Lord. Grace is understood and treasured up all the more in the believer when we struggle against sin. We use the means that the Lord gives us. Colossians chapter 3. Prayer, striving, watching. Mortification of the flesh. All these are tools to get rid of sin in our lives. We don't desire to live under sin. We desire to live under the things of the Spirit. But sin remains. So for the believer, we have to be aware of all our sin. All of our sins and offense to God. We have to be aware of any continued sin in our lives. We must never take forgiveness for granted. Oh, I can go out and do that and then confess it and I'll just be right back in God's good graces. That's a problem. The more purposeful and deliberate and desirous the action, the worse that it is, if it is sin. The more purposeful and deliberate and desirous of the things that Christ are, the better that they are. In 1 Kings chapter 15, I'll just read it to you, or sum it up for you. That was David's issue with Uriah. Bathsheba's husband. He may have looked down at Bathsheba and in that moment with lust in his heart and and just went and pursued her. But it was purposeful and planned the death of Uriah and then he stashed it away in his heart for an entire year. 
And it wasn't until he was confronted by the prophet that he said, I am that man, and I have sinned against the Lord. Okay, that was David's, it was planned, it was willed, it was buried in his heart, but he confessed it to the Lord finally. I, who, who knows what went on in David's heart for that year? How much anguish may have been inside of him, knowing that it was wrong and knowing that he held on to it, but he couldn't confess it. Well, I'm king, nobody's going to challenge me on it, right? Who's going to challenge you on your sin? Ooh. Who wants to be challenged on their sin? None of us. Now, you think, well, Rand, that was a lot on the first portion. Um, those who do no unrighteousness, what about the rest of it? We're going to have another 40 minutes on the rest of it? Well, we're going to have three years on the rest of it. They walk in his ways. I mean, what a joy it is. They walk in his ways. This is the the, the positive aspect of this. And, and I'm just going to touch on three things, just list them for you, because we're going to spend a lot of time on how to walk in the ways of the Lord. The law of God is positive and negative. We don't think that the Lord is up there just saying, no, you've got all these don'ts, all these don'ts. There are a lot of do's, and those do's are for his glory and for our benefit. Okay. Hate evil, love the good. Love the good. Our obedience should correspond with God's mercies. God's the one who not only delivers us from hell, but calls us to the eternal glory that he has prepared for us. And third, it is not enough to wish to be righteous. Think about that for just a second. It's not enough just to wish to be righteous. You have to be righteous, and that's the question of our wills. Will I act in that way? Will I pursue it? Charles Spurgeon says, A hermit may escape into solitude that he may avoid sin, but a saint lives within society that he may serve God by walking in his ways. We have been called to be in society, to walk in his ways, no matter what the world puts before us, no matter what the world puts upon us, no matter what the world views us as, we are called to be holy in the midst of all of that and to walk in his ways. So let's pray. Lord, how can we be blessed? Well, we walk in your ways. We live lives that are blameless. We seek after your testimonies. We walk in your ways. We stay away from sin. We walk in your ways. It's a repeated theme, Lord, and it's, we have to walk in the way that you prepare for us. And here in this room, it may seem like, yes, that's what I can do. It's, it's not that hard to live the Christian life. But when we walk out the door, we're going against the tide. It's, it's not that easy to live what your word says, but yet that's what you command and when you command us to do something, you always provide the means for us to achieve it. You have prepared in our hearts, maybe from, from our childhood, the things of your word. You have steeped us in it. We know it. You have given us the means, provided us your word. What do I need to know to live a holy life? Lord, show me. Here it is. Open the book. Read the book. 
pray the book. Seek the Lord in the book. It is here for us. That is your answer. Well, how can I live it out? Apply it. Walk in the ways of the Lord. Heavenly Father, you you don't leave us on our own. You don't leave us by ourselves to, to flounder, but you are there. We are safe in your hand. You will be there with us no matter what we face. We may face terrible things as believers, but you are always there sustaining us. Your grace is sufficient for us. Fix these things in our hearts, Lord, that we might know your grace evermore. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.